Running with Jake, the podcast. On this episode, what's your Italian like? You picking it up yet, or? Uh, you know what? My wife laughs because I, what I initially did was just started adding a really bad Italian accent to my English, which <laughs> um, <and she>, <laughs> frustrated because it worked. Running with Jake, the podcast. Because every runner needs the occasional plot, and here's your host, Jake Lowe. Welcome to the show. We are back for another episode of Running with Jake, the podcast. This is the place where we're going to fire you up. Well, we're going to do our best anyway. I'm a little bit hoarse today. The voice is going somewhat. The legs are a little flaky, a little broken, but we're going to battle on. We're going to battle on after an epic weekend in. <laughs> Ma- <laughs> Manchester Marathon. <laughs> I've got the medal on. Yes, I'm still wearing my dressing gown. It took me about 20 minutes to set the microphone and recording equipment up today. I'm not with it. Pete, the producer, had to help me. Pete, I'm very pleased you're here. I'm a little bit out of sorts. You've got to keep your eye on me today. Um, well, I'm, I'm, I'm pleased what? you're here as well, mate, to be fair. I mean, Ooh. I saw, obviously, the stuff from Manchester Marathon. Funnily enough, I wasn't there because I'm not a running guy, as mm-hmm. you know. Uh, you were there. A lot of the people who you train were there as well, and it just looked like this truly awesome party it looked brilliant and i was um i was on sunday i, I was like uh, just I, I wanted to know you were okay the whole time and i just i was keeping like i didn't want to hassle you because i knew you'd be busy and i knew you'd be running i knew you'd be in your zone and um obviously i, I just uh, kept checking on the website to see when you were back because the live tracking that wasn't working so um so i was ch- i was checking uh, you know and i saw that you you crossed the finish line and i saw you you were and Marty were back, and and a, a few other guys from the PC as well, from the performance community that you train, uh, and uh, and yeah, just very exciting. And I saw obviously a lot of it on social media as well. So it just looked like a party. It just looked wicked. I, I was on uh, traveling on the train back to Winchester yesterday uh, with Marty and my girlfriend. I was replying to a lot of messages and stuff, and um, I, I was. There was one person that messaged me and we, we had a bit of an exchange um, and I was saying, look, this person did London last weekend uh, and, and I was saying, you know, there's a, you emotionally and physically, you feel wiped out, man, after a weekend mm. like that. It's not just physical, you know, and I would say this to anybody that's perhaps listening that maybe is thinking about a marathon of first time or, or whatever it might be, whenever it might be. And it is emotionally draining. I mean, that's very positive, by the way. But, you know, if you think anything big in life that you work towards, there is a, a natural sort of come down and a reflection period. And, and that has to be like that, right? I mean, you can't be on a high all yeah, the time. Yeah. You've got to have those, those highs and lows, peaks and troughs. Uh, and it is definitely like that the weekend. It's not just about the race. I've always said that. It's not just about those magical 26.2 miles. It is about the whole weekend, the people, the crowd, your support crew, the people that are supporting you that are not in Manchester, like you could self-beat people on Strava people messaging me on Instagram friends you know family it's just it's such a special occasion and I think personally and and people that perhaps did London I know we talk a lot here on the show obviously we're based in the UK we talk a lot about Manchester and London there's so many other great marathons out there worldwide but people that have run them recently will probably know and agree with this it's it feels even more special because of everything that we've been through, because of this crazy pandemic that we've all shared inadvertently. And I think it's it's it just feels like, wow, we're back. This has been a long time in the making. You know, emotions yeah, were high. Yeah. There was a lot of tears in Manchester from spectators and supporters as well as uh, the actual runners. There were people that have 
it's been a long time in the making because they've had this race deferred and deferred and deferred and maybe they had some injuries before then, before pandemic. So it's like, man, are we ever going to get there? So it was an incredible experience for so, so many reasons. I... Um, I, I loved it. I love seeing what my runners were doing. I, I was, I love being there with Martina. I feel broken today. I will not. <laughs> I, I, will, I will admit, <laughs> I, I am in my dressing gown. I don't care. I'm not even going to apologise. I'm just, I'm just not. I'm just not. This is uh, cramping with Jake. Your weekly dose of running motivation. I had a great <laughs> 24 mile race, and then at mile 24, my God. The cramp monster reared its ugly head and sunk its teeth into my right hamstring. I've never experienced cramp, Pete. I've never had cramp. And I can't Mm. really relate to it. I've got cramp. I've got cramp. I'm like, oh, can you, I don't know, can you, can you rub it? I don't know. What can you do? I was Mm. at the side of the road in bits and and, uh, one of the race crew, who are all awesome, by the way, amazing job supporting everyone. He came over. He's like, is it cramp? Do you want me to rub it? I'm like, yeah, just touch me, man. I don't even care where. Just make me feel better. Uh, so I was stood at the side of the road and then it was just run, walk, hobble, crawl for the last couple of miles. It was just, it was brutal but quite humbling. And then I turn around and with half a mile to go, I'm looking behind me and I'm sort of dragging myself to the finish line. And who should I see but this little blonde Italian girl. She didn't spot me. It was Martina, my girlfriend. She was there behind me. She'd caught me up because obviously I was limping for the last couple of miles. But the saving grace, it was a brilliant, brilliant race. Anyway, I've learned so much about sort of my race fitness and where I'm at. Sure. But we crossed the line together and there's photos of us running together, holding hands, crossing the line and all that kind of yucky Uh, stuff. But it was was amazing. It was was just brilliant. And to have that experience, you know, and and you never know what what you're going to get without quoting Forrest Gump too much. You really don't with a marathon because you have... You know, best plans, and I spoke to so many people, people I didn't know out there on the course and, and around the race village before and afterwards, and people have aspirations and targets and training's gone this way and it's gone that way and I've had setbacks or it's gone well or whatever. But then on the day, how are you feeling? What's the weather like? What's the course like? Are you going to run 26.2 miles or are you going to run Are you going to run a little bit further? So I, I ran 26.8 miles, which is a reasonable amount more, I would say, over half a mile. Mm. So all these things kind of add to your race story and that memory. And going back to what we were saying, Pete, about how amazing the whole experience was, we talk about this a lot with our guests, don't we? And I think it's even more important that we don't put too much pressure on ourselves and risk not enjoying the weekend because we're there, we're choosing to do it, we're chalking up the experience and we're getting that damn medal. It was absolutely awesome. One thing that I would like to ask you about, which obviously we've spoken about on the podcast, you've spoken about several times over the last sort of year or so since we've been doing the podcast, uh, and and obviously it didn't. It, when I saw your um, because we'd not we'd not updated it, you'd not updated me on your thoughts or your feelings. So when I saw your finish time, which was a little over three hours, I thought I wonder. You know, obviously that's great, and I've seen the social media and I've seen how brilliant that is. And then I thought to myself, I wonder if there's a small part of Jake that goes bloody hell I was aiming for sub three because that was originally what you spoke about um so and and you've not you, you know I realized that obviously you were really really um focused on that at the time and I think since then we've spoken less about it so I presume that that's something that you kind of just went do you know what I'm just gonna have a good time 
Well, look, here's the deal. I'm really open and honest, as you certainly know, Pete, and I'm sure people that are regular listeners to our show and follow me elsewhere will know that I am very open and honest. And, and I'm happy to talk about this, and I hope it's relevant to people as well listening rather than me just being a running bore about my story because hopefully it can provoke your thinking and you'll get something from it. So you're absolutely right. Sub three hours is my dream target. Is it possible? I believe it's possible, but I think it's going to be a real challenge for me. And I think everything has to line up. You know, the, the stars need to align. Those racing gods need to be shining down on the day. So no, I don't think I had updated you, but I was never after sub three in Manchester this time around. Yes, I do want it, but I, I was never after it. I didn't even set off with that in mind in terms of pacing. You know, I was never going to make it. I didn't set off quick enough. But that was largely down to being realistic with training, which I always advise people do. So we had to, you have best, best, best plans, don't you? Best laid plans. Right. This is what we're going to do. Best intentions, rather. Um, this is the marathon. This is a target time. But then life happens. You know, we were away for five mm. weeks. We had the heat wave in Greece. We were in Italy. Then we moved to Winchester. All these things that people can relate to that ha- happen in life mean that we need to just kind of reassess a little bit. So I never really, and I say this to my runners, I never really completely decide exactly or finalise exactly what that time is until very, very close to the race because you've got to take how you're feeling, the tapering, resting, recovery, what's the weather like and all those things. So I wanted, I was focused on pace rather than time. And this is significant, actually, if you're listening to this. I was focused on pace, not time, because you're going to run a little bit further. And if you're focused on time, finish time, that can put a bit of pressure on you. Because if you watch bleeps and it says mile 10, but because you're going to run a bit further and you think, well, I've not even passed the mile 10 marker yet. That's bloody down there. I can see it. It's in the distance. It can get into your head. So there's a bit of pressure there. So I was focused on running between seven minutes per mile and seven, 10 minutes per mile. That was a window. Now, I knew pushing seven would be ambitious, but I was up for that. And I was also open to explore. I was open to explore what was possible. So I was happy if the wheels came off a little bit towards the end and I slowed down. I was prepared for that and I was okay with it. So sure enough, I set off and I, I averaged basically for 24 miles. It was 7.0, without being a running bore or stuff, it's a running show. <laughs> 7.05 minutes per mile is what I averaged up to mile 24. And then I was starting to slow down. Had cramp not kicked in, I would definitely have been on target for at least 7.0. I would have thought 7.06, 7.07 at the slowest. So I would have hit my target, which was that window between 7 and 7.10. The, the actual finish time was just a byproduct of, of obviously that pace and how far I ran because I ran over 26.8. But just quickly, because I think it's relevant, in um, kind of reflection, I look at that and I go, well, I finished in three hours, I think it was 17 minutes, right? Now, if I'd have ran seven minutes per mile... Well, let's say 7.05, which was kind of that in the middle target there between 7 mm-hmm. and 7.10. If I'd have ran 7.05 for 26.2 miles on the nose, I would have ran three hours and five minutes or high three hours and five minutes. So just under 3.06, right? And I would have been really happy with that, of course. I didn't want to cramp up. But I say to myself, well, I lost around six minutes, about two and a half, six minutes I lost in those last two miles purely through cramping that that in that moment I couldn't do anything about so I lost that so that's not a reflection on my fitness that's just the situation and the cards I was dealt on the day and then I also ran over by over half a mile you know ran over the distance so if I take that into account that's probably another three or four minutes so I wouldn't necessarily go on Strava and and manually upload my session and say well actually I did this you know I didn't I did three hours 17 but in my mind to help me plan my, the future of my training and racing and marathons and to know where I currently am, where my fitness sits, which is important to plot the path forward, I have to take those things into account. So if you have done a race recently or you're about to do a race, 
definitely spend some time just reviewing how things went and take into account those factors. They're factors, they're reasons for the performance that you delivered. They're not excuses and there's a significant difference. I think that's really good advice. As a non-running guy, I can sit here and go, yeah, that's great advice. One thing, one more thing, because I'm very conscious that we've got a really good guest that I really want to get onto because mm. we've got some great stuff to talk about. Uh, but one more question from a non-running guy, and I know there'll be other people listening who aren't all runners and love running, and there are lots of non-running people listening as well. I do know that for a fact. But um, there will be people listening who don't understand why in a marathon you're um, going over the distance. I don't understand what that's about. So can you explain that? Yeah, I mean, for any Formula One fans out there, you, I'm sure you'll know that they talk a lot about the racing line, which is effectively the shortest route throughout that course. I see, right. Yeah, so it's the shortest route. You're a motorbike man, you've, you've got bikes, Pete, you know, mm. you love this stuff. So, yeah, it's the shortest route. And it's very hard to run the shortest route. Now, certain marathons, I know London certainly had this uh, on the mm. course. I don't know whether it still has. I haven't done it for since 2018. But there is actually a, a broken line, which is the racing line that they paint onto the road. So you right. kind of see and stick to that. So you take the tightest line through the corners. Because, of course, if you're going wide, you're going to cover more distance. Now, there's a lot of people that do races and take to Strava and then they have a little moan. And I'm not moaning about them, by the way. But they, understandably, oh, I can't believe it. I'm, I missed out on a PB because I ran over by, you know, 0.2 of a mile in a half I marathon see. or marathon yeah, or whatever. Yeah. I think naturally you're going to run a bit more. I never think, right, I'm going to run 26.2 in a marathon. I know I'm going so to run So 26.2, when they mark out the course, that's the ideal line. That's, that's the, the racing perfect. line. Because right, if you're got wide, you, you know, you. visualise a, a running track for non-Formula 1 fans. If you're a, a 400-metre running track, well, if you're running on the outside line, and the outside lane, rather, you're running more than 400 metres, which is why when they're lining up for the likes of the 200 metres or the 400 metres, they're all in a staggered, it's like a staggered start, so that they're mm. covering equal distance. Well, we don't have that luxury in a mass participation marathon. So if you look at the elites, they will try and stay in a close bunch for many reasons, but also because they want to they hug that racing line because that's the shortest line around the course. So you you are going to run a little bit further over. Um, for me, I unfortunately ran quite a bit over, um, which obviously has an impact, but it's definitely worth taking into account. Yeah, and being aware of when planning target times, because if you're planning a target time based on running exactly the race distance you may come unstuck a little bit. So it's definitely worth bearing in mind. Question answered. Perfect. Pretty much it's like MotoGP on the PC. I'd always have the racing line on, like in London, so you can see where you're supposed to go. I wish we could turn it on in races. It would have been a very different story, <laughs> or a partially different story in Manchester. But of course I did what most people did during the race. The thought in my head, I'm never doing this again. <laughs> yeah, that passed pretty quickly, didn't it? On to the next one. I haven't quite signed up yet. I might just finish the show first and then I'll get registering. Good idea, mate. You crack on with that. But first, let's get our guest on now. This is Robbie Britton, who we spoke to just before the Manchester Marathon, so several days ago now. For the show notes and video content, go to runningwithjake.com forward slash podcast. Running with Jake, the podcast. So, Pete, is this some kind of conspiracy? Be honest with me. First of all, it was you, full of cold, bugs, germs. I don't want them passed through the airwaves as we speak on Zoom. And now our next guest is full of cold. What's going on, man? Are people trying to infect me ahead of the Manchester Marathon this weekend? It's not good. Are you behind this? <laughs> Are you behind this? I'm not this? behind this. I know that you're in a cupboard now and you've been living in a cupboard for the last week because you don't want to get ill before the Manchester Marathon. But let me just assure you that you cannot get, you cannot catch Robbie's cold 
cold because we're just connected via Zoom. You can't catch it. Just introduce the guy, would you please? Look, Robbie, I'm, I'm going to chance it for you today because it's great to have you on the show. I'm, I'm risking my life speaking to you. What, what's wrong, dude? Are you not feeling great today? You're a bit, bit, bit sniffly, a bit full of it? Oh, I just got a bit of a cold, mate. What sort of drama about? <laughs> yeah, there's, no, there's no drama. There's no drama. You see, Robbie's clearly not doing Manchester this weekend. I've got a race. I've got a race. like a proper oh, wuss. <laughs> yeah, you are a proper... I think, I think you're a proper wuss, Jay. Robbie, listen, it's great to have you on the show, my friend. We are talking to you in Italy, I believe. Not us, but yourself. Do you live there now? Is that where you're permanently based? Yes, I, I live in northern Italy with my wife and our two dogs. And, uh, yeah, so we, we're up in a small town called Codula. Um, which is the only reason anyone would have known of the town is because it's the birthplace of Fila, um, the sportswear brand. Oh, wow. Oh. And their empty factories are opposite our, our apartment, which is why the accommodation of the, the, the property prices are so low, because they're no longer here. Mm. How long have you been over there, then, you guys, in, in Italy? A couple of years now. We've been kind of moving around a bit, and we, we were looking for somewhere to live in Italy, because we just we really love the country. And... Uh, Found a, a property for five thousand euros, and we thought it was an error. So we emailed the estate agent. Was like, "Hey guys, uh, you've, you've missed a zero on this, um, but it looks great." And they were like, "No, no, this is this is what it's supposed to be. They just they can't sell it. They want to get rid of it." And yeah, so we we we'll have a go, have a look. Wow. And what's the worst that can happen? We went and had a look and got out of control, and suddenly we found ourselves uh, the uh, millennial dilemma of never <laughs> thinking you could own a property to. Mortgage paid off, living the good life in the mountains. Oh, good Flipping for you. It, that's amazing. That's ridiculous. It really is. I mean, that's you, crazy. I'm going to pack my bags after this call, actually. My girlfriend's Italian. Yeah. I'll be over there. We'll be neighbours. I'm going to be tapping you up for some tips on, on property buying over in Italy. That's awesome. Next door neighbours are trying to sell theirs, but not quite as cheap as us. But uh, wow. I'll, I'll put in a good word. If you could. <laughs> Depending on how the podcast goes. <laughs> well, so far, I'm not sure. <laughs> so far, I'm not sure. Listen, tell me, how, what was it like training over there? I mean, you've been there a couple of years. Obviously, you're super driven with your own running, which I want to ask you about as well, as well as spreading the love, helping other people run and coaching athletes and stuff. What, what's the deal? Is it easy for you over there to train through the summer and things? Have you had to make a lot of adaptations to your own training? So we spent some time in the French Alps where we were living about 1,300 metres. So in the winter there, uh, you're getting like two metres of snow outside the house and you're really having to adapt so i was quite happy to train on like ski mountaineering um cross-country skiing i really love as well and my wife naturally wasn't as keen on the on the she very much enjoyed the uphill element not the downhill part of skiing we're, we're both in in that way kind of different to many uh, ski fans and one of the reasons we moved to where we are in italy because we're lower at 500 meters so in the winter we do get snow um from our we're at 500 meters we can get out to a mountain Within about 8k of running, we can be over 2,000 metres here uh, on Monte Baroni, the, the nearby mountain. So that's covered in snow all winter, so we can't go up there. But here, we've got trails that are free of snow year-round. The roads get a little icy, because we're in a quite steep-sided river valley, so we just get uh, ice on the roads. But in general, um, I've found that we, yeah, we, it's, 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 it's easy, because you've got... We're at the end of the, of the river valley, so behind us is, uh, is like there's a national park to the left, the Wazizenyuk National Park, and then you go off into a proper wilderness. You can go on a trail and you're like, I don't know if this was really a trail. Is this, are we supposed to be here? Has anyone been here? I know what you mean. You'll see like, <laughs> like a sign that's been freshly painted. You're like, who painted that? What, the last person, the only other person this year to have been on the trail had a bucket of paint. Because we're in a river valley, we, I can run flat stuff, like down the valley which is a bit of a nightmare if you're doing intervals uh, because the first half of your session, when you're feeling great, slightly downhill. Second half of the session, especially if you're doing like 
mile reps or kilometres or anything by distance, the second half of intervals are all uphill slightly. Not enough that you would notice and not enough that you can kind of really adjust it, but enough that you hurt mm. a little bit more. And they go from like 3.15 for a rep to 3.35. You're like, where did that extra 20 seconds come from? Why did I do it this way? Um, so and, and there's really good people out here. We've got a little a little group called the Climb Runners, local uh, runners, and there's a few boys in there that are faster than me. There are a few people, that, uh, ladies around Nats level. So we've got good uh, people to train and race with. And I, I do a bit of cycling. So, and the Giro d'Italia came through our town a few years ago as well. So we've got like, really good cycling, cycling climbs either side. I mean, I'm not I'm not in the employ of the uh, local tourism. Board. I love this place. And you, we've we've got like mountain biking trails and everything here because there's two brothers the other side of the river who are like national enduro champions. So they've like developed this that part of the area. So it's got. Like, it is absolutely brilliant here. So, yeah, in t- terms of training, it's a bruise. Well, after that little plug, you realise that everybody's going to be looking to move next door to you. So it's no no longer going to be this nice, quiet, little, <laughs> tranquil town. Wow. I love this, because wow. straight away we've jumped into tips and tricks where running's concerned and just listening to you talking about where you are over there, Robbie, and how, how you know, your training environment. I think it's really important to maximise and capitalise on the environment that you have immediately from your doorstep. You know, for people listening to this that are running and, you know, I coach Mm. different people in different places, as I'm sure you do, and some people have access to hills, for example. Some people don't. You know, they live, like, in the flatland and they don't have the hills. Some people have trails, some people don't. You've got to use the environment and get creative with it. And clearly, you're super fired up, tell from talking to you, about this amazing place that you're in because it ticks all the boxes for you. One of the interesting things I find, if you're looking, if you are moving and you're a runner or you're looking at your local area, we often look for those kind of, well, where's the great place to do the long runs? Where can I do my hill reps? But the majority of our training is the 30 minutes to 60 minute easy run. And I think that's the one to look for. Like if you're moving somewhere new and there's no real enjoyable 30 minute, 60 minute like easy runs out the door, you're going to feel that day to day because you're like each easy run is going to be a slog. You can go a little bit further afield or have the, like a little bit of kind of boring running at the start of a long run to get you to a nearby woodland or some, some, somewhere hillier. But I would, if I was looking at places, because we looked at a couple of places to move to and whilst there was absolutely wonderful big days out and, and big hills and stuff, there wasn't an easy run. There wasn't anywhere, like every easy run was going to be kind of like a real slog uh, to the gradient or the trails just kind of like you because you're stuck in the city. And I think that's that's the thing to look for. If you're if you're thinking about your area where you're where you're running, find a good easy run. Find a, good, a few good easy run loops, and that you can enjoy. You can switch off a little bit, and that's the bulk of your training, right? And that actually makes a massive difference. And you can meet friends a bit further afield for the for the good stuff. That's a really good point because it's the staple, isn't it? Like you say, that thirty to sixty minutes. It's a classic. It's the one where we usually don't. Typically, we probably don't put so much of a priority on it, even though it is the bread and butter. Because those bigger, longer runs, we build them up. We're like, right, I need to get organised for that run. I've got to make sure I know where I'm going. I've got my hydration. I've got my snacks. I've got whatever it is that you need for that run. But it's just oh, thirty or forty minutes in the week. Oh, it's almost incidental, especially in, in a tapering period. A lot of people, I think, struggle with that. You like the shorter runs, do you? Is that it's interesting because you're smashing out. 50 50Ks yeah. and what's, what's your passion then? Where does it really lie? I'm asking Robbie Britton now, not the people that you coach and help, but where's your true passion? I mean, you clearly get into, involved in lots of stuff, the skiing, the biking now, the, the different distances. Where does it really lie? Someone asked me recently, because I've been injured for a couple of years and did a lot of biking, they said, oh, which would you, if you could choose, what would it be? And I'm like, it's going to be the running every day. It's been a part of me for quite a while now and uh, and it does help that I'm good at it I'm better at running than I am at cycling my passion is is probably the 24 hour running like it's it's the one that I I see myself 
doing best at in the future and, and I love helping other people with their 24 hour running I'm part of the management team for the for the British t- um, squad it's really satisfying to help someone have it because it's such a hard discipline like it's there's so much in there that you've got to get from yourself it's not other people yeah we you have a great crew and we can help you get your best result but we can't do anything if you're not having you're not getting the most out of yourself and and it's a, it's, a, it's just there's no hiding in a 24 hour race it's it's about being a good runner it's about being a good eater and a good drinker but it's it's also about being absolutely mentally tough and kind of knowing how to push yourself forward in in those toughest moments so yeah the, the 24 hour running is my deepest darkest pleasure i suppose but i, I just love i love the whole self improvement around like sport in general and just how you can you can actually quantify your own improvement on a day-to-day basis. And I think that's one of the things as runners we get really sucked into. We, we love it. We kind of love getting better and kind of working hard to improve. And I think that's why some people, as you say, like struggle with a taper, right? Because you're thinking in your mind, in our mind, to get better, I work hard, right? At the moment, you're getting better for Manchester by sitting in a cupboard talking to me, right? And that's without the tips, you're just improving because you're recovering, you're lowering that fatigue on your body, you're getting to reach, like, ready to reach your own potential. We don't, it doesn't compute in our minds. It's like, no, 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 no. I, I need to be hammering something. I need to smash to get better. And that, it's not always the case. And I think we, I miss training. I was tapering for an event last Sunday and I'm like, I don't know if I fancy this event. I actually, I was just getting into training. Or maybe I'll just keep training. To, for the rest of time and I mean that's a, probably a good place to be because it's good to be motivated and to enjoy the training you've, you've got to love the racing too and I, I love it but uh, yeah if, if you if you can find that passion for, for training and self-improvement then it, it helps with the motivation it'll help with the performances but I guess it's yeah appreciating it during the taper it involves chilling out we talk about this, the staple runs of 30 60 minute things the things that you do the most of what you spend your most time doing predominantly for most in, in training anyway and now we're talking about like that 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 self-improvement and really thinking about, you know, the, the, the trying to improve in training, not just putting all the focus on the race, because the race doesn't last very long. Even a 24-hour race versus how much training you put in that, it's the hours you put into training. So kind of embracing that and having, a, I suppose, a healthy relationship is massively important, isn't it? And being aware of that. I wrote down when you said self-improvement, because that's great. So many people looking at Strava, and I think it's easy to forget about being better than you were yesterday or the week before, or the month before that, or the year before that, or whatever using your own kind of barometer to measure where you are and focusing on other people. Oh, well, they're quicker than me or they've run further than me or they've done this. It's about your improvement. It's not about you compared to the next person. I think that's really healthy. With yourself, obviously, still clearly driven in all sports, that is, many sports rather, how do you find the balance between coaching runners and writing books and being able to find time and energy and motivation to commit to your own training to the level that you do? That's a good question. The way my work schedule goes is it's it's quite intense. Like I'll, I'll sit down and I'm with the book. I wrote it November, December last year and I was just, that was it. It was kind of, um, I really put that in my focus and I adapted the training that time to do a lot more kind of lower volume, like more high intensity stuff over the over that period. So it worked well together. I wasn't spending long days out doing uh, doing kind of like long bike rides because it was winter or long runs and stuff. But I was I had, I had different tasks that I put a lot of my energy into. Yeah, probably my my education that's because I was still doing the, the sports nutrition diploma at the time probably took a bit of a backdrop. Um, so I guess it's just finding that balance at different times and, and it, like I don't know periodizing your workload for lack of a better term. But just appreciating that sometimes you, other bits of your life you've got to make sure that balance is there because it does suffer. And I mean I. It's not just my, my work and my education and my, my running, it's my relationship with my wife and, and the time we spend together and it's making sure that that balance is, is correct. 
I suppose it's just sometimes it's, it is just taking a step back and appreciating that some things are more important other, at certain times. And other times, like when you're training for a PB over a marathon, and you, you might actually, your, your work elsewhere might suffer a little bit. And just kind of giving that some thought, I think probably I've got no massive tips in that. But I find the busier I am, the more organised I am. Um, and, and the less I have to do, the, the more time I spend playing Fallout 4 on the PlayStation. Uh, so, I don't um, think that's uncommon either at all, Robbie, is it? You know, the more the more, the more more things you've got on your list to do, the, the more you have to kind of write, I need to focus here and I need to get organised and pragmatic to tick all these things off. So I totally get that. It's funny, isn't it, talking about balance? Because I think for some people, it's easy to think the balance needs to be the same all the time, constant. And what you're saying is no, you know, ebbs and flows because different things become a priority in life moving to Italy or family life or work life or writing a book or my training, training for an event or whatever. So it can vary. And I think it's important to look at where anybody is, listen to this, where you are in training at the moment, what your aspirations and your goals are. And is timing right for you to achieve certain things? I think that's important. Just going back to the book and you talk a lot about training plans and choosing the right training plan. I mean, 1001 tips, there's a lot in there. How do people digest this? How do people use that book? Ideal situation is it is a book that sits in the bathrooms of good runners, and every time they go for a dump, they sit there and read a few tips and become a better runner. <laughs> and they can dive in, dive out, take what they need, go on, go on about their lives. It's filling an empty space that maybe could, they could uh, actually help them improve. Like, who's improving whilst they're having, having a crap? Right? So this is now the area we're going to get you improving. This on. is this is not necessarily a coffee table book. This is a uh, this is a next to the bug bathroom. Book. Exactly, brilliant. <laughs> I love you thinking. I, I love you thinking behind that, Robbie. There's a slight flaw in the plan. This, this book's for runners, man. They don't spend that long in the toilet. They are in and out. Sometimes they don't even make it to the toilet. Let's be honest. Let's be honest. <laughs> you should definitely talk to my wife about that. Let's get her on. Let's get her on. I'm not saying she spends a lot of time in the bathroom. That was a, a self-reflection. I apologise. <laughs> okay. So, <laughs> She's not there, listen, it's all right. She yeah, had enough think, of my voice. Yeah, I think you've covered yourself there, mate. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I, I, I kind of hope it's a book that people, they, they kind of think that that's, it's going to be something they pick up and look at a couple of bits and have a nice little read. Maybe even buy it as if it might be maybe a reference book. But then find, there's a guy, Phil Guyman, I really, like, he, he wrote about his books, How to Be a Pro Cyclist on $5 a Day. Really enjoyable read. And he's got another one with little kind of question and answers he's done for columns over the years. And every time I pick it up, I just end up reading more than I was planning to. So that's what I kind of hope people do. They kind of, they, they, they don't ha- they don't buy it as like the next training Bible, but uh, they, they kind of, they like I buy those books that have got like the big trip textbooks, The Law of Running and uh, Steve Magnus' Science of Running, and I put them in, and hope that they work by osmosis. And they just, and I pick them up and I read and make a concerted effort, like, yeah, I'm going to read this chapter. And then I just kind of wander off and read something more, like, not more interesting. That's a bit rude. Um, but, like, I'd go and read about mountaineering instead. I want people to pick this book up and kind of go, oh, that was, yeah, that's good information. That's a bit funny. I just, oh, oh, the day's gone. I've read the whole book. Um, but, no, I just want them to enjoy it. And, to, it's like, good advice doesn't have to be boring. The way it's written, and it's probably because of the start, I wrote it, kind of sat, uh, sort of stood at the table, kind of writing big chunks of it in one go. I like it. I want it to flow. So I want you to read one tip and actually you're reading this tip and it's not like, a, oh, that's good. I'll take that tip and I'll work on it. It's like, oh, that's good. What's the next tip? Oh, that builds into it. Oh, right. If, you, if you're if working on your sleep deprivation for a longer rest, okay, what's the next one? Oh, oh training for a marathon. Oh, well, oh it's got a taper's next. Oh, I'll read about the taper. Oh, let's 
fueling for the marathon. Oh, I'll go through that bit. So hopefully it's a book that people spend longer reading than they intended to. Tell me about this bike ride that you've got coming up then. I mean, we tried to arrange this podcast, didn't we? And we were back and forth with a few messages. You're in Sicily, you're on the bike. What's going on there, man? That sounds pretty awesome yeah, and bonkers. Last couple of years, I've done a race called the Two Volcano Sprint. It's about 1,000 kilometres um, with 20... This year's 1,100 kilometres with 26,000 metres. Uh, the last two years, it's gone from Vesuvius... You climb Vesuvius first and then you take a rather hilly and, and varied route to Sicily and you go up, up and down Etna. And this year we're starting in Sicily and we ascend Etna twice and then we go up um, through Italy to, to, to Napoli uh, and uh, finish there. So I'm doing that. I'm hoping to finish under three days this time. It's an unsupported uh, continuous race. So you basically take what you need at the start and you have it on little bags on your bikes and you can use any commercially available services along the way. So we can use shops and cafes in a hotel if we want. But if you want to do well, if you want to get under three days, you're probably not sleeping in a hotel. If I finish it under three days, I'll probably have had about an hour or two sleep over the three days. Um, I've done a few of these now, the longest being 2,000 kilometres, which took about five days. Um, I won one in Slovenia this year, which was 1,000 kilometres and took 48 hours. I had 90 minutes sleep, which was luxury because I had a bit of a gap on the people behind. So I used that time to sleep. It's an eating and, and not sleeping competition, cycling across up Italy. I mean, the eating bit sounds amazing. Well on board with that. The lack of sleep thing. I mean, I don't have the best relationship with sleep anyway, Robbie. Do you, do, how are you with that? Do you struggle with it? Or can, can, are you okay with like little sleep? I mean, it sounds like safety's got to be a factor when you're on the bike. How, how does that work? So there is, a, like, obviously, um, there have been accidents over the years in this, this style of racing. But, I mean, the biggest risk is still the drivers around you. And this is a set route. So some of the races, you plan your own route. And the temptation with that is to pick the faster, more dangerous roads. Um, so this, I, I really prefer routes with set road, uh, races with set routes because it, you don't then get forced yourself onto roads that are dangerous. The, the organisers picking routes that are actually a bit, a bit quieter. I found the, the sleep deprivation side of it fascinating. So I've really, if because as a runner, um, I've got aspirations to run over 48 hours, six day races, and we have some really long stuff in the ultra running where the sleep deprivation is a part of it. So we investigate that. You have to do yourself a lot of damage, right? Just in terms of running for that length of time. Whereas you could do it on the bike. And I've done a handful of these races over the last couple of years whilst injured from running. And it's allowed me to really experiment. And, and I found like the first time around, I was using a lot of caffeine and just trying to push through. And that works for a short amount of time, but it doesn't actually, you get this buildup of adenosine in your brain um, from adenosine triphosphate. And the harder you work or the less you fuel yourself, the more that, the quicker that builds up. And the only way to dissipate that is to actually sleep. So like caffeine will like fuzzy the receptors, but you're not actually solving the problem. I've kind of adapted over the years to try to make sure that, okay, I've reduced the effort, I've increased the fueling, keep it consistent through the night. And, and I'm using less caffeine now than I used to. I would have a couple of targeted ones through the night. Um, and I, I used to, the micro sleep, four minute sleeps. I did one race where I had just a, it's a 33 hour race and I had a four minute sleep in the middle, just lying on the side of a verge. And that's it, it's all I needed. Because uh, it, it just depletes that adenosine enough that you can then, as long as you're not digging in, like dipping into the world too much after that, you can you can keep going. So it's that's in the book actually. There's a section on uh, sleep deprivation that mostly comes from my experience on the bike, but uh, is linked with like the likes of Daniel Lawson, who was one of my athletes who, who did a jog. He's done uh, six day races and stuff, and and we kind of uh, some observations as a coach as well as observations. Uh, as a, as a cyclist, as, a, as an ultra endurance athlete, it's an interesting part. It's maybe not there for the marathon runners, unless you're doing a midnight marathon, then there is uh, some sections there. But uh, yeah, it's a 
it's an interesting subject. Wow, it's a massive subject, isn't it? And I think sleep affects everybody, no, no matter what they're doing, whether they're doing these long events that, that, that kind of rely on sleep deprivation or not. I mean, I, I know from a lot of my runners, that, you know, they regularly document, oh, poor night's sleep last night, or bad night's sleep, or restless night's sleep. You know, it's, it's, it's a big thing, isn't it? At the end of the day, you need it to function well. I'm not a great sleeper myself. Like, I'm, I, I generally tend to, because of the lifestyle I live, I can have a, avoid having too early an alarm in the morning or just not having an alarm some days. I would say that if you have got the option, like even at the weekends, to, to not set an alarm, it's going to let you catch up a little bit in the mornings. Um, and that may be because if you've got an alarm all week and you've got to get up at a set time, if you are going to, to, to find yourself uh, late going to sleep, obviously the phone is the biggest one of the biggest issues there. You find yourself like sitting there flicking through Instagram. But for me personally, I read every night because that just helps me drift off. But it, uh, I, it takes me quite a lot of time to, to switch off. But I, feel, I imagine I, I'm imagine you're the same as me, Jake. There's a lot of ideas bouncing around in that head of yours. Oh, man. And then you're laying there on the pillow and it's just like, bing, 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 bing. <laughs> <Yeah>. So... <laughs> I'm guessing. I might, I might be wrong, mate. I might be wrong. You might be on the money, I think, and I think you know that as well. It's just insane in here, man. Sometimes it's tiring being inside my head just for 10 minutes, but no, you're absolutely right. And I think I sleep slightly better than I used to for a number of reasons. I try and have a slightly healthier bedtime routine, just the obvious stuff that we know about. Sometimes we're not always so great. You know, reading I've started doing, actually, Robbie, like as a thing, as a way to wind down. And I've only been doing that recently over the past few years, and it's become a habit, and like... I love it. And sometimes I don't read much, you know, it's just like a page or two. But it just helps yeah. me kind of switch off a little bit and, and stop the kind of chaos and the noise inside the head. It's been absolutely awesome chatting to you, Matt. I could talk to you all day. It's cool. Maybe I shall have to pop over for a limoncello at some point when I'm next in Italy with my girlfriend. <laughs> Go for it. I don't know where you are in relation busy, to where man. we'll be staying, but what's your Italian like? Are you picking it up yet? Or? Uh, you know what? My wife laughs because I, what I initially did was just started adding a really bad Italian accent to my English. Um, and she, but she gets frustrated because it works, right? Yeah. I, like, but my lingo's okay. And, I, like, I, you know, my biggest lessons are probably with my physio. We go twice a week and, and we go back and forth in English and Italian. Um, but I like to think I've got the, the hand gestures kind of... I'm getting there with these. I've always been quite a, ah. a gesticulator anyway, so... I'm bridging the gap in my my knowledge that's uh, good and, and my vocab with the with the actions and yeah. I'm just adding a lot of O's and acciones <laughs> to, to words that I'm guessing a few as the confidence grows I'm guessing more words and surprisingly getting a lot of them right or if I get a confused look I just kind of start with the hands uh, so yeah I'm doing alright do you know as long as you've been... got the, the as long as you've got the hand movements right and as long as you're starting to uh, ride um, mopeds on the road like an absolute bloody lunatic you're, you're almost there you're almost an actual Italian <laughs> Did, did you get absolutely slated during the Euro final, by the way? You must have done. I mean, your surname's Britain for a start. They must bit. have killed you. Yeah. <laughs> we are the only English people in this town. So, like, it, like the local butcher had a good laugh, the physio had a laugh, the estate agent, we, I went to see her, and she was like, no, no more inglesi, solo italiano. We, we won. So we were like, okay. So I had to do everything in Italian chatting to her for a while and just because we'd lost the football. But <laughs> thankfully, yeah, there was... I just tried not to get excited and in the last day like the, the, the semi-final and the final I'm like oh it's happening now like although we lost and I'm a I, I was previously a much more passionate football fan um, I've lost the love for it a little bit in the more recent years I really enjoy some of the Italian success at the national level if it makes the local people happy then our lives are better right? I was fortunate <laughs> enough or, or unfortunate enough depending on how you look at it to be over there we flew over there on the day of the final watched the final and then Martina's family proceeded to wrap me in the Italian flag uh, and you can 
you imagine lots of cheering and all that sort of stuff. It was quite entertaining, but the atmosphere over there was just incredible. And like you say, it's just great to be part of and, and witness success and people doing well of, of all kind of levels in life, right? It's important. Cool. Listen, been amazing to chat to you. 1,001 running tips. Go and buy it now. I guess we can get this like everywhere, right? All good bookshops as usual, Robbie? Hopefully. I don't know how it works, but like the best place for me is, is Vertebrate Publishing. You can buy it via their website. You can pre-order it on there now. Well, we'll link in the show notes page as well so people can go and pre-order your book which is runningwithjake.com forward slash plodcast and if you want to keep up with uh, Robbie what he's up to go and check him out on Instagram it's Ultra Britain Robbie it's been awesome chatting to you today normally this is the part of the show where we obviously let you go and say goodbye to the guests but I need you to stick around I need you in a minute just hang fire there mate is that alright? Yeah no problem at all Running with Jake the podcast. Now Pete this is usually the part of the show where you are no longer the non-running guy well maybe you're still the non-running guy but you're certainly no longer Pete the producer you put on your Patreon hat and as lovely as it looks on you, you turn into a begging fool, man. You are the Patreon Pete of the show, and you're asking for money. I am a fool, but I'm not a beggar. We're not begging here. This is not what I'm doing. Hey, you're in good company with the foolishness. It's fine. It's fine. But look, I'm going to take over a little bit here, actually. I'm not going to talk Patreon, but I was thinking this over the weekend. Uh, when we had an awesome time in Manchester at the marathon, lots of my runners, the guys and girls in my performance community, and if you are listening to this and you're somebody that's perhaps feeling maybe a little bit lost with your running, maybe you're looking at still making some improvements wherever you are at the moment you're not really sure how to navigate the next few months of your training maybe you're not really sure which goal you should set yourself maybe you're looking for a bit of a sounding board to throw some ideas around or some support a bit of a cheerleader well that's what coaching can offer you as we obviously touched on with Robbie if coaching is something that's of interest to you and I've rarely mentioned this on the show actually people know that I'm a coach but all you have to do is get in touch with us. You can either hit me up on the usual channels of Facebook and Instagram or just drop an email straight in, podcast at runningwithjake.com and I would be more than happy to arrange a short call with you to find out a little bit more about yourself and your running and you can ask all those questions that perhaps you're dying to ask about coaching and how it works and we can see where we go from there. Podcast at runningwithjake.com if you want a little bit of help with your running. Do you know what? I would normally slag you off for doing an advert there, which is clearly an advert, uh, but um, I, I must I must say that the performance community, the guys that you that you coach and you're coaching people to perform better than they otherwise would do, I must say that the community that you have, and, it, and that's the right word for it, it's the community, and I saw that uh, big time in all the stuff that you posted after Manchester, and we spoke about Manchester earlier, and we spoke about you guys being there all together and just cheerleading and... And it is, it really is, and, and this is just, I'm not begging, I'm not begging, but it, if you if you do need some kind of direction in your running and you do want to improve your performance as a runner, uh, then there's no better thing to do. It really is fun, it's a community, and, uh, and very, very positive. It's funny, the community side that you mentioned there, because obviously I had this idea in mind when I first started, the, the, the performance community, but we met up, obviously, over the weekend, and we had food and beers afterwards, and we were talking, you know, race debrief, it was great fun. But some of the people in the performance community I had never actually met. But we couldn't believe it. It was weird. We were like, we have met. We know. How, how can we have not met? Because you can still build really strong, meaningful relationships without actually having met. The meeting bit is obviously the icing on the cake. It's a fantastic payoff, especially on a race weekend. But it just felt really weird. And I think that's a sign of the times these days, isn't it? Where we're all kind of working remotely. Often we're speaking to people through video cameras and sending voice messages. It's amazing how strong relationships you can build. So it was just an incredible weekend. So drop us a message, podcast at runnerjake.com if you are interested. But now let's get back to some more running stuff and tips and tricks. Oh, and I've got some help today. This is very good. 
Are you still there, Robbie? Yeah, of course, buddy. I've got a task for you. I want to capitalise on having you on the show. You're clearly super passionate, very knowledgeable, 1001 tips for runners. Are you ready for this question? Probably not. It sounds like I'm building it up. I'm not. <laughs> Basically, we do a feature every single episode called Ask Jake, where people send messages in, they've got a question about running, and I answer it on every show. I'm going to pull you into this one, because I think this is going to be great. You talk a lot about training plans in your book as well. And we've had an email from Sean, who basically, this is awesome, man. She's she's She lost her love for running, and she's getting her mojo back, which is great. We love stories like that. And she's training for her fourth marathon, right? So in about five weeks' time, she's going to okay. start the classic 16-week training block for a marathon, okay? She wants an idea of what she should be doing in this time so these kind of five weeks before the main plan starts now i know that's a massive question but what sort of things do you think are worth considering even about the actual plan that she's doing what sort of tips and advice and thoughts have you got about that she's got five weeks Uh, someone who's struggled but they've lost their mojo in the past i would be kind of using this this time to have a bit more fun with my training doing the things i enjoy keeping the efforts maybe a little bit shorter a little bit faster Maybe like looking at some routes that, that might be a bit slower that you wanted to do, like, like maybe some runs with friends that you had planned. Uh, there might be a local trail you wanted to try out and you've not gone and done before. Um, because like we all think of the marathon as the tiring thing that post the marathon we, we're all knackered from, but it's not that. It's the training block and, and actually the mental dedication and focus it takes to stay. Like a 16-week block is a decent amount of time to really kind of have a one primary focus so I would maybe using this five these five weeks to not put too much pressure on myself and and have a like a little bit of fun with my training and 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 yeah it, you know that the time's going to come to to be really dedicated and to kind of knuckle down so I, I'd give myself a bit of a break maybe you're thinking oh, I want to be ready to start and really make the most of this PB sixteen weeks is plenty of time to get in PB shape so these five weeks what you want to do is make sure you're ready and kind of relaxed enough and got enough mental energy to, to be ready for that next block rather than kind of what can I do now to give myself the best chance and using that kind of psychological energy in this period when actually there's plenty of time to get a PB, right? 16 weeks, you're going to do it. So maybe, yeah, just kind of enjoy your running. Do some of the things that you maybe won't do as much of in that block uh, in the, when you get like, the more specific work towards a marathon. I completely agree with that, Robbie. And, and you know, you mentioned earlier, obviously very passionate about people enjoying their running and you mentioned sometimes you know you might give a session to a runner and it's not really their favorite session they don't really love it but it might be really beneficial for them at the time so it's understanding perhaps why they don't like it but at this time sean it's probably not the time to start doing those types of sessions do things that you enjoy which is what robbie's saying you want to keep your mojo you found it let's keep it found you know you don't want to lose it again i think it's always worth just casting an eye over the first couple of weeks of whatever marathon planet is you're intending on following and where are you at the moment versus where you need to be when you start those first couple of weeks of training you know try and bridge the gap a little bit without putting huge amounts of pressure on yourself so you're feeling good when you start and and obviously the things like staying injury free robbie thanks for chatting to us one more question before you go we ask everybody this question on the show this is your weekly dose of running motivation what does the word motivation mean to you it it, it, self-motivation that's what I when I think of motivation is about what can I do to motivate myself rather than looking at other places and extrinsic kind of areas for motivation I I think about what's going to motivate me and I've Definitely in terms of like the academic world, intrinsic motivation is, is, is the gold standard. That's what you want to be looking for and finding kind of goals and uh, like targets that, that make you want to do it rather than looking at external stuff like 
keeping people happy on social media or impressing your friends. That stuff's great and it can help. But what's going to actually matter to you and keep you motivated is, is a much more important thing. Robbie, it's been a pleasure. Stay safe on your bike in Sicily next week. Catch up soon. Cheers. Pete, yeah. can, you, can you just... You're cramping my style. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm sorry. We don't... We're done with cramp. <laughs> you know, I had cramping my style while I was about to do the show close. about to wrap up and there you are reminding me of the cramp at mile 24 by cramping my style. Can you just... Hang fire with the nose blowing. I wasn't as much cramping your style as blowing my own nose, I'd say. But let's just crack up. I got all confused about Robbie helping out with a hashtag Ask Jake. You didn't tell me that was happening, you see, so I didn't know what was going on. I'm sorry on. about that. I'm sorry about that's that. Not- I'm sorry about that. Look, I'm all confused today. I don't know where I am or who I am or what my name is. I have no <laughs> idea what's going on. I just know that this part is the end of the show. I don't normally like long goodbyes, but I think I might just drag this out. Don't do that. I'm procrastinating. I'm procrastinating. You know, talking of a cramp, I do actually really hope that Robbie does not get cramp when he does his bike ride in Sicily. I mean, that'd be a nightmare. Can you imagine cramping up on the bike and you just kind of like fall off the bike? I mean, that, that's just like, what a nightmare. I mean, what do you do? Yeah, I don't know. You're hurtling I mean, along. I mean, I'm not a biking guy by any stretch of the imagination, but I've done a little bit of cycling and it's your arse that hurts more than your... I mean, that's the bad bit, isn't it? Actually, it does remind me of a time when... Don't, I, I mean, God. I didn't... No, Go no, on. No, I, it's nothing just trying about, to finish like, the show, seat. Jake. I just want it to finish. I know, I know. But years ago, right, I, I think I got a bit of a running injury. So I thought, well, I'll get a bike. I'll get a bike. Why not? Let's do a bit of that. I can cycle. That's fine. But I wasn't brilliant at cycling, as it turns out. But I, I just threw myself into the whole thing. So I bought, like, the clipless shoes. You know where you're clipped to the bike? Mm. Which is a skill in itself, and that I, it was a skill that I did not, I did not have, and I did not hone. I should have spent time honing it. I didn't. I jumped straight out there. I had all the gear on and everything. I got to a set of traffic lights. I think it was at the junction, at Kilburn, mm. and the lights were on red, so I slowed down and I, I wheeled slowly right up to the junction. I managed to unclip the shoe, but I put, I tried to put the wrong foot down on the floor, so I just fell. But I fell. I fell into the parked car next to me at the lights, but the window was down. God. So I fell. I just I basically just fell. You're on the guy's in, lap. Through the window. Well, oh, he was driving. God. It was, his, I presume, his girlfriend in the passenger seat. And I'm just sort of there, like, through the window in this car. I mean, what do you do? The problem is oh, when you fall God. off, when you clip to a bike, you don't just fall over. You're still, you're still clipped to the bike. You don't just stand up. You still clipped. To- anyway, I'm not cycling anymore. That's that. Back to running. This has been Running with Jake, the podcast. I think. Anyway, I think it is. Yeah, it is. your weekly dose of running motivation and all that sort of stuff. It's brilliant. Pete, he's the producer. I'm Jake, the host. And uh, yeah, if it's the first time listening, hopefully you will be back next week. That's it. Goodbye. Oh, and one more thing. Run the first two-thirds of a race with your head and the last third with your heart. Yeah.